Anchorage Manny there. I am. Um, how you doing? Doing well. How are you? Doing okay. Doing okay. Um, post post holidays, uh, week off from the day job. So naturally, just doing podcasts. What are you considering your your day job these days? Uh, stats bomb. The the athletic, not so much, or is that? Uh, the athletic is, is uh, you know, it's a podcast and the occasional article. It's not. Uh, it's basically like the um, the the time I have to actually play with basketball data is 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 stuff like that. So, chatting on podcasts and things like that. Play with basketball data sounds like something that I I understand why it is fun for someone such as yourself. But I've come to learn that to work on a team side, to really have an undying curiosity uh, about this sport, I don't really have that level to to the certain degree of people such as yourself. I've I've come to learn that. I, yeah, um, I think it's it's also just once you get once you like bust through there's sort of a barrier to having the stuff you like the the stuff you want at your fingertips like once you bust through that then it's like oh i wonder and then it's like a 10 minute thing instead of before you have that you have kind of the technical stuff uh figured out you know it's uh uh it, it, you know it's a, it's a three hour thing to is this a thing and now it's something you can do it pretty quickly so that, that that does make it a little more fun just to be able to to is this a thing quickly yeah my my brain in terms of observing how the league works works is i ask people how they you know what i'm saying like (laughs) and i don't like i i kind of thought about this a lot of showcase last week or yeah that was last week um i mean people can just look at 10 guys moving around in a court with a ball and just can't get enough of it. I can get enough of it. That's all I'm trying to say. Maybe this is a bad place to be uh, um, to admitting this publicly, but I just wanted to use that as a transition to asking you about um, to get certain peeks behind the curtain of, of what people are doing in front of offices this time of year because I, I have come to really accept that. I don't think I've got the, uh, the like, full wire to wire basketball interest that, that it would take to be able to do that job. I mean, well, the thing is, is that, that the full interest involves doing a lot of like not basketball stuff. And so that like, just like, like the fun part, the dessert is getting to like, go to the event and like, you know, watch players and, and, you know, kick around ideas and stuff like that. And then there's like, the, the veggies of filing your scouting reports and doing background calls and looking at cap sheets and stuff like that. And, and uh, now some, for some people, cap sheets like our, you know, I think, you know, our, our friends, Nate, Nate Duncan, Danny LaRue, like staring at cap sheets is kind of, you know, for them, it's very similar to me staring at data, but still it's, 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 there's a lot of the have to do stuff that you've got to get out of the way in, in until, uh, um, get to do the basketball stuff. Um, a friend of my, uh, uh, um, a, a friend of mine got promoted pretty high in a, in a front office and was sort of 
you know, was talking about all like the, the, the personnel stuff, not like the, like the basketball personnel, but like the organizational personnel stuff they have to do. And so actually getting to sit into, in a room and argue about players, like that's not work. That's fun. Um, after all, like the, the sort of the, what we, I guess, admin we might talk about. Well, it's, it's interesting because I'm curious now to kind of bring up more to present day stuff as we're here couple days before the calendar year starts. Summer 15th has come and gone. There have not been any trades as we uh, typically expect, despite how much we overhyped that date, but that's the media business. Um, what is kind of your sense, at least from your experience or just in general, what's kind of your sense or how much for you specifically when you were working with the Bucks, were you analyzing just your team and just – what you thought of Milwaukee or the general you, your team's strengths, weaknesses, fit of certain players, lineups that work better than others, blah, blah, blah. Um, and looking at everybody else, because there are two sides. There are two sides of, of the, this spectrum, I think in terms of team building and, and roster construction that you do have to look just at yourself and, and be able to consider what you're doing regardless of everything else. But this isn't a fixed world where there are 29 other teams that you have to not only compete against, but get through to get to the ultimate goal. So is there a defined ratio to that um, disparity, if that makes sense? Sure. I think that, you know, this is a rat like, you know, turn of the calendar year, given where the trade deadline falls is pretty decent shorthand for moving from how good are we how good is everyone else what do we need how do we match up if you're you know you have to be at a certain level to even really care about how we match up like if you're a 43 win team or thereabouts like okay how do we match up with the celtics bad we match up with the celtics bad because they're much better than us um but uh but this is so you've kind of been doing that and now you know the, the conversations as you know go on you know all all throughout the year but like at least in my experience and from talking with other people this is about the time of the year when like the board comes out and whether the board is actually like a an actual whiteboard or something like that or just like a concept where we need a deadline to get stuff done because uh i think that people have probably over internalized like opportunity costs. So it's like, mm, that sounds like a good deal. But if I make that trade now then I have two months of, no, of not being able to make trades because we already made our trade. And so they need that, that finality of, okay, we're not going to get anything better. Um, but this is, but with that coming up, like everyone's kind of doing the middle, middle school dance of, Hey, my friend likes you. Uh, do you like uh, blah, blah, blah. And get, <laughs> you know, and either it's like a either it's a concept, yeah, we'll put that on our board and talk about it, or nah, we're not interested in that, but maybe call back. Um, and then so that you know, from an analysis, like you know, from from my perspective, uh, for doing the analysis, like the board kind of helps, yes, have a sense of everyone in the league. But if there's you know, okay, main targets are these six guys on these six teams. How do each of those look? And also, given the parameters of what the deal might be being discussed, like what other pieces might move, who other, who else might we want to pick up? I mean, a, a big part of the Bucks' success, and this is several years before I got there, was you know Chris Middleton was a throw-in to 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 uh, Brandon Jennings for Brandon Knight, but from what I understand, he was a throw-in who was 
targeted by the, now it's, you know, easy to say in retrospect, but my understanding was like, you know, that's the guy we want to, to match salary is Chris Middleton. Um, and so just, you know, having that at your fingertips, who the, who the extra guy you want, who, if a, a, another team you're hearing is making like a, a lopsided trade, a team is making like a three, three for one or something, and they need to, to move a guy so they don't have to, to cut someone and eat salary who might be a guy on another team that might, they might not want that you might want to pick off. Those are the kinds of things that, that you're really starting to do now. Uh, hopefully like if you're at this point still fiddling with like an overall value model, you're way behind because that should just be something that exists that you're yeah. referring to almost. Yeah. Well, the reason I asked is more in the latter part and that looking at everyone else being that, that to me is the consistent excuse. I'm using the word excuse just because that's how that's what it is um, for teams to not make. Because there are deals that are being discussed right now that are going to be completed in some fashion in February. That's just how the league typically works. So to not do it now, but basically you're going to do a, a very similar iteration come February 8th or February 9th before three o'clock Eastern. Um, I think it can be safe to say that's an excuse as to why you didn't get it done. The biggest one right now, most consistent that I hear time and again, is that the standings are so bunched up. It seems like everyone, I mean, it, it's a, it is a good credit to the parity of the league and the fact that any team can win on any given night. And there's a lot of hope and excitement for a lot of teams to make the playoffs here. Um, but it seems like so many front office decision makers are looking at the landscape and looking at it as a reason to keep holding on to their chips rather than like, just like how everyone just decides to formulaically take out their starters and play um, basically all the reserve lineups from the end of the three minute, from three minutes, the last three minutes of the first, the first three minutes of the second, blah, blah, blah. Like to me, there would seem to be an opportunity to just zig where other teams are, are zagging and make a deal right now. If you wanted to, if you really have identified, you know, if you're Cleveland, for example, and you've just identified for basically years now that the three spot, especially after this Donovan Mitchell trade and how good your team is playing is your weakness. Like why not beat, you know, your, your competitors, the punch to go get the guy that you think you need to get. Um, so, so I, I guess I'll, I'll end my rant. I'll end my rant. Yeah, yeah, no, I ended, but like the like from like if I'm if I'm if I'm the Cavs, I want to do that yesterday, and I bet you that that like if they, they probably have deals on the table that if the other team was ready to say yes, would have happened. Now, are yeah, I'm you not, willing I'm not to blaming? I'm not coming at the yeah. Cavs to be clear. I was just yeah. using an example. No, but so you're so you're you know, I don't know. Let's let's pick a player. Um, let's pick a like. Who's someone that they could? Okay, At, Atlanta is like, well, crap, we're we're done, and we got to move Bogdanovich for. I had Brad Brad Roland on my show earlier today, so they're top of mind. And like, I don't know how the money works for this or anything. So let's, but okay, we gotta we gotta move Bogdanovich because we gotta you know make sure we're under the tax next year. Blah 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 blah. Cleveland's offering us this and that, but we think Bogey has value. Um, why is it worth it for us to do that deal right now? Um. And so that's, you know, then you end up with situations like last year, which was, you know, supposedly a seller's market. And the, like, you know, the, the asks for pretty mediocre vet players seemed like it was really high. And then no deals got done because 
for the seller's market to, you have to, eventually you have to say yes to the best yeah. offer. Um, and so you get like people, oh, I maybe some teams outsmarted themselves by like holding the line. I'm like, no, a first for Gary Harris. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know? Um, so, but the, the point, if you have, if you're, you know, if you're Phoenix with Jay Crowder, maybe in that situation with, with Booker out, now maybe they have some, some more urgency to get something done because they need it now. But when they were like, you know, first in the West and just cruising along, why do we need to make a move now? We can, we can, teams are going to, are going to form up around us to give best offers. Let's, uh, let's, 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 let's listen. Let's not rush. Um, and I think for the teams that know they are going to be uh, making those kind of trades, um, the artificial scarcity of the impending deadline is their friend. So you either have to pay like a premium to get the deal done now, or it's like, mm, that's good. I think we can do better. We're, let's talk again, you know, in a week. Let's talk again January 15th. Let's talk again February 1st um, is, is sort of how it goes. And this is, this is you know, it's 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 FOMO. I think that I think that uh, that a lot of teams make a lot of mistakes, um, you know, turning down, a, a, you know, a buck today in the hope of getting a, a buck twenty five in a week. A lot of times that buck today turns into 50 cents. Well, right. Yeah. It's like like, oh, wow, the he suddenly this guy stopped playing well or or the the market dried up or, or, or whatever. And then then again, you get situations last year where, you know, guys obviously should have moved and didn't because like, you know, maybe in a, in a, you know, multi-period game, maybe it's, it's, it's worth something to be like, no, seriously, we set a first and we're not budging off of that. And if we have to, you know, eat the guy's contract for the rest of the year, we'll do that. So next year, you know, when we say we need a first, we mean it, but I kind of think, I think that's kind of BS. Like, I don't, I think I, you know, understand that reasoning. I just don't think it actually, I, I don't think that kind of like signaling and messaging especially given the amount of turnover there is, you know, front office wise. I don't think that actually is like that credibility doesn't actually uh, give much value. Who didn't move last year that you thought should have? Well, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the kind of the, the, the okay vets on expiring contracts. It's like, why is, why Terrence Ross not move? Why did Gary Harris not move? I'm sure if we, yeah. if we talked long, talked longer, like, you know, if Washington is is kind of, you know, going a certain way by the trade deadline, if Kyle Kuzma doesn't get moved, um, and I think Kyle Kuzma is actually probably a, a step, up, well, is a substantial step up as a player from some of those guys. But yeah, like it's like Eric what's Wilson, if you will. yeah yeah like what's what, what's what's the point of him of 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 him him sticking around? Like, you know, so yeah, I think there like. I, I remember, like, I, I, it, it was so long ago, Jake. <laughs> I don't remember who was available at the deadline last year, but no, nothing got done because, like, you know, the the you, the, the deals that got made were just, you know, what did what did the Jazz get for you know the the Joe Ingles contract? Wasn't much. They ended up getting like Nikhil Alexander Walker, right? Yeah, and a second round pick or something like that, right? Right, and so it's like, okay, well, that was their big move, and that's because the 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 lottery ish teams all seemed like, well, it's going to be a great time for us to, you know, ask ask for exorbitant returns, and then you know they were getting exorbitant offers or or above the the you know above the the odds offers, but it's like 
that I think they were just collectively got greedy and didn't take, you know, didn't take yes for an answer and, you know, ended up getting nothing. Um, that was a three team trade with the San Antonio Spurs. Um, yeah, I think Jeremy Grant was probably the biggest one that stood out to me. Like I remember just hearing repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly that Detroit wanted basically the same value that Orlando got for Eric Gordon a year before, um, of a first round pick plus a young player, plus more, you know, two first round picks, whatever that equivalent was and doesn't get moved to the death of deadline when they had all these suitors. Who wanted to you know get in, get in early before he reached free agency this summer, and then they just trade him for a future first round pick to, to Portland um, during the draft. It, that 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 was a bizarre occurrence to me. Yeah, and I think that's. I mean, I think that's exactly the example. I mean, you know, I think that's just in terms of like the level of of player. I think that's that's sort of exactly again if if Washington, depending on where Washington is in a month that's where we might be with Kyle Kuzma and whether or not they can actually get something done. I, I kind of think they will because it kind of seems like Tommy is the kind of guy, Tommy Shepard is the kind of guy who gets things done because he's, you know, agreeable and, and kind of understands how to work with people, um, which is his, you know, by reputation and, and everything else kind of his, best strength as a, as an executive. So I think my guess is if Washington is not like firmly in the mix at that point, which it looks like they will be. So it's probably moot that that's something that will, would get done, but that's like not based on any information. That's just kind of reading the tea leaves and reading the players at the table. Yeah. Um, all right. We're going to go to the comments here. We've got Cornwise cracked saying the Hawks will fire Nate McMillan, LOL. On a real note, anything new Hawks-related? Um, uh, go listen to the pod I did with Brad Rowland earlier today. Um. <laughs> I was going to say that. I was yeah. also going to say... Um, well, the one you did earlier this week. We did one, we did one last week, or okay. earlier this week, whenever, whenever it was. Yeah. Can't keep track of the days anymore. Um, nothing new on the Hawks, but they're, they're one of those teams that... Um, can get this ball rolling at some point in time where John Collins wants to get moved. They want to move him. Um, will there be something, but nothing new to report as of now. Um, we got King 78 saying light the beam, light the beam indeed. Um, and he says, I E Rashawn Holmes with Rashawn coming back and playing a little bit uh, against the nuggets in the game that DeMontis Sabonis missed. Um, and I'd imagine he will continue to get some looks here. Because he got the cobwebs dusted off and looked okay, the push shot was back. Can can they move him? Like that's that that's that's another kind that's of thing. It's like ask. all of a sudden, that's yeah. It's uh, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's they're kind of right there. Do they have it? Like, how comfortable would you feel if off? Uh, you know, it turns out Sabonis, Sabonis needs to miss three weeks, and then you're rolling with Chimizi Metu, like, and Alex while Lynn? trying to. What's that? And Alex Lynn. Okay. You're rolling with Chimizy Met. <laughs> and yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that can, they can, you know, that's the other part of, of why teams, like, might tend to wait. It's like, well, what if we get an injury? Like, okay. That's being a little risk averse, but I can understand that. Yeah. I think as King78 comes back into the comments, and if you'd like to ask us a question, all you got to do, download the app, make an account if you haven't already. 
press that call button and we can have a chat. But in the comments, saying the Kings need a backup rim protector desperately. And I definitely heard several teams suggest that Sacramento is one of the teams that are expecting to look in the the backup shop blocker market, if you will. Um, Seth, centers, especially backups, I think, is one of the more nerdy, nitty-gritty discussion points, I think, amongst NBA people these days in that certain people just don't want to pay anything more than a minimum contract to get a backup big in that. That's just – there's just so many seven-footers out there who are – more than capable of being tall and athletic and, and blocking some shots without having too, too much of other responsibility at hand. And you have to pay for a lot more of that responsibility because there are fewer and further of those guys in between. Where do you land on the kind of great debate on, you know, you got your Joel Embiid's and your Jokic's and, you know, your, your star, all-star caliber centers. But between those guys and a true minimum backup big, What's kind of your philosophy on, on how you'd want to uh, stock your, your your reserve of, of large men on your bench? I mean, a little bit of that depends on how you want to play. Like if you are committed to being, you know, having a, a five or are you going to do you have the, the kind of the guards and wings to be able to play, you know, small or, or medium sized ball? for long periods of time. And if you do need that big, then like, yeah, having a, you know, having a, you know, guy at the TPMLE who's a, you know, having a, I don't know, uh, a, a Daniel Gafford or, a, you know, Brandon Clark's going to get more than this, but, you know, the guy, guys of that, you know, Gafford or Zach Collins, if he's healthy or, or, you know, Hartenstein's probably a little, a little bit too good for that. And, and um, so you, the, no, yeah, having it having a good, a, a viable, but the problem there tends to become that since these guys are you know somewhat fungible skill set wise, you don't want to be in the position of well, where we've committed you know four years, thirty six million to Javale McGee or something like that, um, and now that's like a brick on our cap sheet. So there is a there is a balance there, but I I I think that that you know if there's a guy that you have you have reasonable is of a of a class above kind of the the you know the 30 guys you can get on a minimum each year right like that was you know the lakers were filling out their roster this year it was very weird to me that uh that damian jones was a guy like nope got him it's like well why do that first like you can find a functionally similar player when when you've got 13 roster spots filled instead of that being your ninth spot being filled. And even though he's, cause he's going to end up like 14th in your, in your death chart anyway. Um, so, uh, but if you, if you are aiming, you know, a little bit higher than that, then, you know, you're starting to get into the, the situational, but good like role player type centers. And then like, you know, again, guys who can, if you're looking for a guy who can defend the paint, protect the rim, like there are guys who consistently do that every year. Um, is it, you know, is it worth more than the minimum to have, you know, Bismack Biombo on your team for, for two or three years? I, I, you know, yeah, not, not much more, but I, I don't, I, I wouldn't hate that. Like you, you know, something, you know, you're going to get, and you know, someone who can, who's going to, you can be able to come in and be, you know, intimidating in, in on the interior defensively. But I don't, you know, as again, as long as you're not going crazy with years and dollars, 
you know, you keep it kind of it's somewhere between the, the BAE and the TPMLE. It, I don't have a huge problem with that. Like if those, if the contracts like that are a big problem, it's probably not that contract. That's the problem. It's probably all the other stuff you have. That's that, that's the issue. Yeah. it's a good point. Um, done one T 69 says asks, are, what are the chances of Pascal Siakam getting dealt? And I, I think, you know, this is the, the stage of the season where a lot of teams are still making up their minds on what to do, obviously, as, as we have been alluding to. But that lends credence to rivals just running wild with ideas on what they think teams will and should do. So Toronto's kind of, from my perspective, leapfrog Chicago on the board of a team that executives are looking at as potential blow-it-up team. Will that happen? We don't know. Toronto probably doesn't even know. Well, Pascal, I mean, or they might, they might know, but we'll never know until they decide one way or another. Like sure. they are, they are along with OKC. I mean, among the tighter ships in the league in terms of, I mean, I don't know, maybe you disagree, but it seems like in terms of like what they're actually planning, you know, being in the ether, uh, if it is, it's intentional, put it that way. Yeah. I mean, last year, the Goran Dragic first round pick thing that they were clearly shopping around the league. And I don't, I don't use the term shopping lightly. They were definitely shopping that around the league that was out there because they were calling every team offering it. So that, that for sure. Um, But yeah, if, if they're going to make a giant move to move Pascal Siakam, I, I would think that would happen more quietly to your point. But I also think that to really answer the question, I mean, they are known to very much value what, Siakam does up north, and I would think they'd have to find a move that was just an absolute victory in their minds to either get younger um, or improve this team's ultimate championship ceiling. Um, that would have to that'd be setting him out the door. He's he's more of a buzzier name that people are like would wonder about, but I think if Toronto ends up going to that pivot point or just looking to sell off things here and there. I mean, like the Norm Powell trade to the Clippers or, or, or to the Blazers, excuse me, for Gary Trent Jr. is kind of exactly what they could do with Gary Trent Jr. right now in sending him out the door before he ends up uh, commanding a pretty big payday. Um, Fred Van Vliet to a lesser extent. That's the, that's the name I would like. I like the one that I um, – because I'm, I'm, you just – given how – limited they've been from a ball handling perspective the last couple of years. Now limited they've been sort of overall from a number of guys Nick Nurse trusts, um, which is its own kind of separate thing. But you do wonder how much how much tread is left on those tires. Yeah. For a for a you know a smaller guy who was never a jet in the first place. That's that like from their standpoint, I I would wonder very much how, like, respecting that that the guy has given your organization a ton. You do you want to do you want to be paying for the the twenty nineteen title in twenty twenty five? Basically, sort of the question. Um, to to kind of cobble together a bunch of questions here. Um, so. 
it's been pretty clear to me that Grayson Allen is not someone that Phoenix would like back in a Jay Crowder trade. He's a, he's definitely there for the taking. Um, now with Devin Booker out, with Landry uncertain to play, um, you know, a do the Suns actually have any leverage in any Crowder trade? Being that, I mean, just that, but also b office would you be pushing to make a move now as your roster continues to get thinner with cam johnson already being out um and and a little bit of a fall down the standings to, to the phoenix suns geeks uh comment you know it's better having something than nothing at a certain point so from a leverage standpoint that's an interesting question it's sort of i think it, it kind of depends on who you're talking to if you're talking to like if you're talking specifically to the Bucks, I don't think you got a lot of leverage because the Bucks don't care if they if they have him for games in you know January twentieth or whatever. Um, for a team that is you know needs so- something at that spot to climb up or maintain spots in the standings because they do really care about seeding or getting out of the play-in or whatever. Um, you absolutely have leverage. Hey, I, there's going to be great offers for him for the next two months. Get, make it worth my while to do it now. Now, Phoenix might be a little more motivated to say yes to to a good deal there because, as you as you pointed out, like the cupboard in the backcourt's getting a little bare there. Um, but you know when they're uh, when they're dealing with you know the the non already elite teams, I think that that they still have plenty of leverage in terms of, of, of commanding a good return for Crowder, just because you never have too many big wings. I personally question whether Crowder is a wing anymore, but that's, you know, that's, that's me, not the league. Um, And he's the, he's the most available one out there. It seems. Um, Someone, it was, Betsy, and, and I also see Kuzma mentioned again by Phoenix Suns Geek asking if there's any credence to the Suns with Kuzma. I mean, yeah, he's, there, there's definitely been conversations had between Washington and Phoenix. Um, the Wizards are, are a team that would be interested in adding Crowder. Um, and I think, you know, while I'm pretty sure from multiple people I've talked to with the team that Washington would prefer a future where they are battling their way back into the playoff picture um, with Bradley Beal and Christoph Porzingis and Kyle Kuzma at like the, the front of everything, and they re-sign him next year. He clearly wants to test free agency. He's clearly going to decline his player option, and he's a guy who has kind of been a star in Los Angeles, has had big you know, commercials. And, <laughs> and, he's, and he's actually playing like a star now, so like we put yeah. those two together and – yeah, he's gonna want to get paid, and will the and Wizards he should? I mean, the, the, he's turned himself into like I thought, especially like for up until the sort of the end of his LA tenure, he was much more hype than substance. But he has turned himself into a really good player, and and like yeah, he's gonna get, he's gonna get, uh, if he you know if he if he gets less than 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 nine figures on his on his deal this summer, I'll be surprised. Yeah, and then the question. The follow-up is paying both Cam Johnson and Kuzma would be tough for Phoenix. It's just an educated guess. 
I would I, say if the Phoenix Suns are getting Kyle Kuzma back from Washington, I, I, I'm not so certain Cam Johnson would still be on the payroll. Well, so this came up. We, we, were, we were kicking around like Jay Crowder ideas when I was talking to Brad earlier today. And I'm wondering how much, like, when this, this sale goes through, how much our previous calculus of what the Suns are willing to spend should be revised. I mean, I think I, I mean, it, it certainly out, seems like shelled out contracts when they've had to. What's that? They've shelled out the contracts when the time has come and they've had yeah. to. When they've had to, but I, but to me, it seems like the appetite for throwing money around. I mean, given that dude has already thrown a $4 billion valuation around, like, you, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if Phoenix, if they thought it was something that like locked in a championship core was, you know what I mean? Yeah. A new ownership group is going to want to yeah. win games. Like they're yeah. going to be excited. That's what I mean. Th- I, mean I think that th- this is a, 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 a new owner who very much seems to want to announce his presence with authority and, you know, spending money is the best way to do that. Um, I, mean, I mean, the Sixers, when they were bought in 2010, by Joshua Harrison company were to try to build a winner. Um, you know, they traded for Andrew Bynum to be a winner when Mark Lazarin and his company bought that team in 2013 or whatever it was. Um, it is definitely a thing that happens when teams change hands. Um, we're going to wrap this up here. I mean, Prokhorov, Prokhorov led to, to, uh, to, you know, the, 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 the KG trade, didn't it? It did. It did for sure. Yeah. Um, Billy King telling me that there is an intermediary figure between him and Prokhorov on the phone, calling this person who was an assistant or some sort um, and asking for continued and continued approval to put more and more draft capital into the, into the deal. Uh, yes, that is what happened. Um <laughs> Two more. We'll do, we'll do the we'll do the a question from Phoenix Suns geek about the Pel, about the Pelicans, or I guess and Betsy as well. I mean, and then we'll uh, touch on quote unquote surprise teams. Then we'll get out of here. I mean, I don't think the Pelicans are, are thinking about consolidation trades by any stretch. I mean, from people I've talked to there, they're just excited about what they're building, and they are absolutely excited at the prospect of what this Lakers pick could become. So. I mean, they're just trying to figure out ways to move this thing forward. They're looking to take big swings. That is that is true. I mean, they've got plenty of picks that they can't use year after year after year after year. But I don't think right now there's any real crunch for them to try to, like, package Najee Marshall and Trey Murphy and Herb Jones into, like, one into like a Pascal Siakam to go back to our, our name from earlier. But I don't think they're trying to do something like that. I mean, b- before Brooklyn like became the hottest team in the world, like you know, kind of raised eyebrow. KD to New Orleans was like something that was like I don't th- there wasn't any reporting about that, but it was something like that was sort of the raised eyebrow thing that makes sense. Um, and obviously, that's not going to happen now that Brooklyn is like kill- well, Brooklyn is winning close games over everybody. Um, uh, Brooklyn's like. 14 and three in, in, in clutch games. Um, that's, um, which is unusual to say the least. Are you making your official stamp for Kevin Durant to be the first ever clutch player of the year? Uh, I mean, they, so, I mean, there's two, two, can I, can I drop some stats on you? 
Yeah, please do. Yeah. So basically, I think that clutch record can be misleading because, you know, the way the NBA defines clutch is, you know, within five points um, in five minutes or less. The difference in your win probability, like, you know, knowing nothing about either team going in, if you're down five on the road and up five at home, the difference is about it's about difference between like 85 and 15 percent. So I've I've been messing around with something like knowing how teams got to the clutch. How often do they win this game? And then with a little bit of an adjustment for how good they are in non-clutch games, uh, because the teams that tend to win clutch games more than kind of the odds of the teams that are also like good and not clutch games. So the nets are by a decent margin, like they're the, like the average team in the, you know, with their profile who had been in the clutch situations they, they have would have won about three and a half fewer games, which is by about a full game, the, the most in the league. Um, and then Kevin Durant is like lapping the field in, you know, shot making this year. And I think that's something that, probably has some impact in the ability to win close games since in those late close situations, tough shots are what you tend to get as everyone under the sun just plays hero ball for the last three minutes of those games. Um, the, the, the nets are uh, as well equipped and probably better equipped than anybody to, to come out ahead in, in those kind of situations. There you go. All right, Seth, we've talked for long enough. I gotta, I gotta jump here, but I really appreciate the time. We're going to definitely have, uh, another good show next week on Tuesday at 5 Eastern when I hop on your program. Um, anything you want to say, anything you want to ask me, anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Uh, no, I think, I mean, you know, to check check out my show. I'm, I'm talking Cavs tomorrow with uh, Kelsey Russo from The Athletic. Uh, looking forward to that. Did, did like, talked about a bad vibes team with the Hawks today. Talking about a, an immaculate vibes team with the Cavs tomorrow. So I'm excited about that. Um, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to, to chatting with you again next week where I get to ask the questions. There you go. All right. We should be back tomorrow. I'm still working on a guest, unfortunately, for tomorrow's show. Um, but we should be back. I got a story running at Yahoo and hopefully to tie it all in. Um, regardless, have a good week. Have a good weekend. Have, have a happy new year to everybody. And we will see you for certain in 2023 to talk some more NBA hoops. Thank you.